Good evening and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website at independent.org. We've also got our print edition out on the streets across the city, news boxes, libraries, and other public venues. Uh, today we've got another fantastic show in store for you, and I'm also joined by our co host, Amba Gagarian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. And happy International Women's Day to everyone who is listening. Thanks, Amba. Uh, On today's show, we're going to get an update on the battle to win a good cause eviction law in Albany this month from an organizer who is in the thick of the battle. We will also hear from Kristen Gonzalez, a socialist from Queens who is running for state Senate. If elected, she'll make history as the youngest woman ever elected to the New York State Senate. On, and on this International Women's Day, we're also going to take a journey back into time to the Pacifica Archives and hear from author and peace activist Grace Paley. With war in the air, we need to hear from our peacemakers more than ever. And later on in the show, we'll speak with leftist political comic Francesca Fiorentini about laughter and maintaining a healthy sense of humor in these fraught times we're living in. She will also talk about the challenges of being a female comedian in a field historically dominated by white males. But first, we turn to New York's growing rent crisis. A a Monday article in the New York Times titled Rents Are Roaring Back in New York City reported that Rents in New York rose 33% between January 2021 and January 2022, according to the online listing site Apartment List. This is almost double the national rate and the highest increase among the 100 largest American cities tracked by Apartment List. The article uh, also uh, quoted uh, distraught tenants who were leaving their suddenly unaffordable apartments. It also cited landlords and economists who said this was just the way it had to be and housing advocates, I'd say mainstream housing advocates, uh, lamenting this sad state of affairs without offering any solutions. From reading this article, you would never guess that people across New York State are organizing and pressuring Governor Kathy Hochul and the state legislature to enact a law that would make it much harder to evict tenants in 1.6 million non-rent stabilized uh, households across New York State and would and this law would also tie rent increases to the rate of inflation. But this movement is, in fact, happening. Joining us this evening to give us an update on the campaign for a good cause eviction law is Jen Hernandez, lead housing organizer with Make the Road New York, which is a part of a statewide housing justice for all coalition that encompasses many dozens of housing groups and other social justice groups and uh, Jen is going to fill us in also on why March could be a decisive month for getting such a law passed in New York State in 2022. Jen, welcome to WBAI Radio. Uh, hi, John. Thank you uh, to both of you for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Uh, so for starters, uh, can you uh, just briefly summarize what the good cause eviction law would do, uh, who it would benefit, and why you feel it's urgently needed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, good cause, the good cause eviction bill, uh, as you mentioned before, right, would mostly benefit unregulated renters um, who at the moment, uh, the way the current laws function, can be evicted at the end of a lease term uh, for non-renewal, basically for, for if the landlord doesn't want to renew their lease, uh, they don't have to and they can be evicted 
um, without any reason, right? And so um, a lot of the times, right, what we see on the ground is uh, even if it's not like a non-renewal, it can be like a, a high rent hike. Um, um, but but basically, there are very little to non-protections um, to unregulated renters in the market. Uh, and so the good cause eviction bill would basically uh, give tenants some rights to challenge um, large rent increases, um, right? If uh, a, a rent increase is more than 3% or more than 1.5 CPI, right? Which is the rate of inflation, which at the moment is nine or 10%. Uh, basically tenants could uh, fight back uh, and, and challenge those rent increases. And it would make it so that a landlord actually has to give a cause uh, for terminating a lease or for trying to evict somebody, right? Um, good causes for for such for, for for an eviction under this bill would be non-payment it would be nuisance it would be um right uh if the owner wants to occupy that unit right all of these basic costs good causes right to to basically um have somebody move up um but but you know good cause is is an essential bill um, again, on the ground, right? You mentioned the article that came out um, uh, yesterday, right? Thirty uh, percent, a thirty percent increase is not just happening in New York City, right? Like we at the moment have a, a case in Sleepy Hollow where tenants that have been in uh, a building, right, uh, over twenty years in a building, are all of a sudden getting a seven hundred dollar price increase, right? Such increases are, are basically um, uh, uh, evictions, right? People, people are not able to 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 pay those rent increases, uh, and there's no reason given to them, right? It's just so it's just a if you price. didn't pay your under good cause eviction, if you're in a in a market rate or unregulated apartment, mm-hmm. and your rent goes up some astronomical rate, like eight hundred dollars a month, I think was an example in that article we're referencing. Mm-hmm you could not be evicted for non-payment on that or does it protect leases in that way? Cause that would be a lease. Agreement. So, so in, in that particular case, right. Uh, if uh, your, your increase was 800, right. Let's assume of course that sounds like it's more than the CPI, right. Or, or the 3%, uh, you could fight against this rent increase, right. So you could take that to court and say, mm-hmm. this is uh, unfair. It's an unfair rent increase. Uh, and then a judge would need to decide that. Okay. Uh, but the the three percent or the one point five CPI is sort of like an indication um, to judges of like what under this law would be considered sort of a just increase. Okay. Okay. And mm-hmm. that would, in theory, go with the rate of inflation rather yes. than these astronomical rises. So, exactly. so now tell us why March is a crucial month in the campaign to get the good cause eviction bill passed and your sense of what kind of momentum you all have at this point in doing so. Yeah, there's a lot of momentum at the moment to, to, to pass good cause. I think it, it's, it's, it's stronger than ever, right? Um, uh, a lot of organizations that are part of Housing Justice for All have been fighting local fights, have been passing local good cause eviction uh, laws. Um, so these laws have been passed in Beacon uh, as of last night. Congrats to the people out there that, that made it happen uh, in Albany, in Poughkeepsie, in Newburgh, in Kingston. And so there's a lot of momentum, right? Uh, people need this uh, 
need this law uh, and these protections. And so, you know, the moratorium ended in January, right? And, and, and after that, we are seeing, and, and as the New York Times put it, these astronomical rent increases, right? This can only create more displacement, right? Apart from everything that we've been carrying uh, from the um, from COVID um, and 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 all the rent that has been uh, owed, uh, right, due to COVID and losses of jobs and all of that stuff. Um, and so, the sooner we can get good cause and the sooner we can pass it, uh, the better our state is going to be, right? And the safer our state is going to be. Um, Good cause would actually save money for the state, right? Uh, because of, you know, the, the kind of services that uh, communities and people need, right? If they go into an eviction, if they become homeless, uh, if they have to go through a court system. And so good cause um, would actually save the state money. But the, the sooner we actually can get this law on the books, um, the better um, tenants are going to be off in, in the state. Right. And uh, the Democrats uh, not only control the governor's chair in Albany, but they also have uh, two thirds supermajorities in both houses of the state legislature. But uh, we're hearing a lot of, uh, I guess, sort of chatter on the grapevine that uh, there's a strong opposition in particular in the state assembly, uh, in part because some Democrats are getting a lot of landlord money and others are actually landlords themselves and have uh, reservations. So surprise, surprise about this. Uh, law. Um, uh, can you comment on that? And, and then also, uh, before we go, uh, let our listeners know how they can uh, get involved or learn more about this uh, yeah, movement that course. you're helping to organize. Yeah, of course. Thank you for, for that question, right? Yes, of course, we, we know that, uh, you know, the Senate has been more uh, supportive of good cause and, and is more willing to, 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 to pass good cause. And on the other side, right, that the assembly is the, the biggest sort of barrier uh, to getting a good cause passed. I think the, the, the issue of money, right, and money coming from uh, real estate in our politics is a big one, right? And, and we do have those issues, right, where, where a lot of elected officials, where their biggest donors are real estate and uh, in, in that business, uh, tend to, of course, shy away from these types of bills. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think we're, we're really calling on, on leadership, right, to, to make sure that um, tenants have protections, that, that we don't continue growing the homelessness crisis, uh, the eviction crisis, um, and, and, and on Carl Heasty, right, to, to, to really push uh, his leadership um, to, to really pass good cause. We know that Kathy Hochul, right, and, and, and she's been fundraising, right, and we know that a big chunk of those millions that she's fundraised are from real estate, right? And so, of course, um, as much as maybe some elected officials might want to say that that doesn't influence uh, their votes or their support, right, on paper, right, we're not seeing that support. Right, and we have to go here in a moment, but uh, where can people uh, find out more? Uh, about housing justice for all. Yeah, people can find. Yeah, people can find us on Facebook. We're uh, housing justice for all. They can also uh, find us on our website, um, uh, housing justice for all. Um, but uh, we are over eighty organizations that are maybe in a community uh, near you, maybe in a location near you, and so. 
uh, housingjusticeforall.org is our website. You can go in, you can see the organizations um, that are part of the coalition, and you can plug into an organization um, and, and, and help us fight, right? Help us go to Albany, help us protest, help us lobby, help us make some phone calls, uh, and help us uh, debunk the myths that real estate is pushing, um, right? They're spending millions of dollars trying to right. say that good cause is going to be horrible for the state. That good cause means that tenants are not going to pay their rent, right? All these things uh, help us help us debunk all those myths. Yeah, desperate people say desperate things. Uh, so, yes, uh, more than 80 groups. Uh, folks, you can uh, go to the Housing Justice for All website and see if there's a group in a in your community. Uh, Jen Hernandez, uh, lead housing organizer for Make the Road in New York and a member of the Housing Justice for All Coalition. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on WBAI. Thank you so much. You bet. We'll be back after a short break, and when we return, we will talk uh, to a candidate for state Senate in Queens who is uh, says she's intent on going to Albany to not be in the pocket of landlords or other big money interests, and she's also trying to make uh, history. If elected, she would be the youngest state senator uh, in the history of New York. So we'll be back in a moment with Kristen Gonzalez. abridged version of Rent performed by the original Rent cast. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm Amba Gregarian here with John Tarleton. I want to wish everyone who is listening a happy International Women's Day. We'll have more about that a little later on in the show. For our next segment, we'll turn to Queens, where our guest is trying to make some history herself. Kristen Gonzalez, 26, a socialist from Queens, is running for state Senate. If elected, she will make history as the youngest woman ever elected to the New York State Senate. She's been off to a fast start since entering the race, and we're delighted to have her join us today. Kristen, welcome to WBAI. Hey, it's so good to be here. Can you hear me? 
Yes, we can. Great. Thank okay. you. Great to have you here with us. So start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and why you are running for Senate, New York State Senate. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first I've actually, as you probably know, it's petitioning season, which means all of the campaigns are trying to get on the ballot. I'm currently knocking doors, so I just popped into a cafe and apologize ahead of time for any background noise that we may hear during the call. That's the that's the reality of being on the campaign trail. Uh, a little bit about myself. I was born and raised in Queens. I was actually raised in Elmhurst. I grew up in a single-parent household, and like so many of my neighbors, I watched as my own family just struggled to live the baseline of a dignified life. We, My mom had to work, you know, when multiple jobs when I was growing up to just keep food on the table, roof over our heads. And I know today's episodes really focus on housing. And I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, that's one of our top issues of something I'm very passionate about because I've seen firsthand how rising rents are just completely, you know, pressuring and driving out working class families uh, from their homes. Um, you know, it's something that, that we dealt with very intimately, you know, growing up, the, the rent just, just increasing. So, so that experience is what really drove me to public service. When I was in fifth grade, I got a scholarship to go to a, a private school on the Upper West Side. And I talk about this a lot because it was my first introduction into the two New Yorks. I went from a school where our gym was an emptied out classroom, literally, and you'd run in circles and play kickball in a circle to a you know school with a gym that was its separate five-story complex, right? Aside from the school, it was just, you know, the inequality in the city was that apparent to me. And, and so growing up between these, you know, this breathtaking inequality, really drove me to start organizing at a young age. I started in high school. I organized in college as a first-generation low-income student. And then after graduating, I, you know, I, I had worked in D.C. I came back to, to Queens and realized that the real way to challenge these systems of inequality were right, you know, right here in my neighborhood. And the best way to do it was building a multiracial working class movement. And so I've been, you know, organizing around issues like affordable housing, pushing against Amazon, increasing, um, you know, or, or bridging the digital divide and increasing access to the internet by launching an internet for all campaign uh, and so much more over the pandemic, like mutual aid efforts. And, and so, you know, that's, that's really my background and what's inspiring me to run in a new Senate seat, which is an incredible opportunity to have another, you know, fighter in Albany, another, another democratic socialist in office, who's going to fight for good positive and who's going to help pass the New York health act. Who's going to, you know, help, fight for a green new deal. So I'll stop. I'll stop there. <laughs> yes. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your district and also um, uh, what it means to have uh, recently been endorsed by uh, the New York city uh, chapter of the democratic socialists of America. That's a very coveted endorsement. It brings a lot of firepower with it. Yeah. So I, uh, I do see, you know, I, I was a organizing a member of the, Democratic Socialist New York Tech Action Working Group. So that's where I helped start the Internet for All uh, campaign um, in alongside my comrades. And so it was really, really important for me to run as part of you know, DSA sleep because those priorities, those values were really what, you know, what one motivated me to run and two, I wanted to do it as part of that movement. So, um, so we're really excited to be part of the slate. It does bring a lot of, I think the best part is, like you said, a lot of firepower, uh, but really what that means and what we, I think DSA does so well is having boots on the ground. 
So we win campaigns at the door, right? Their campaigns are one, one-on-one talking to voters, and that's what I'm excited to do. But we haven't stopped there. We also received the Working Families Party, Make the Road, uh, at several environmental organizations like Triage, and several elected uh, officials. Um, so what we're doing, and, and I'll get into the district as well, what we're doing is building a coalition of progressive organizations and electeds that represent this new Senate district that ranges from Long Island City, Greenpoint, Sunnyside, Woodside, down through Ridgewood and into, uh, you know, Glendale, Mass as well as Richmond Hill, Ozone Park, and, you know, um, Woodhaven. Right. And um, so in our next segment, we're going to be talking about Women's History Month. And one woman who has had a historic impact in these past few years is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. How has her success influenced the way you see your candidacy? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think um, I actually had started getting involved with DSA when uh, she was running for office. I was born and raised in Elmhurst, so it overlapped with my district, and I, you know, I'd seen her speak in the neighborhood. Uh, so I am really, definitely inspired by her, and really honored to have a lot of veterans from her campaign actually on our team, on our kitchen cabinet. But what it really speaks to is, in you know, with the introduction of this new Senate district, that is a representation of what we like to call the Bernie Coalition, that includes. Uh, you know, East Asian, uh, South Asian, it has a Latino plurality, as well as a significant number of millennials, right, and young people in the district. So when you take this new Senate district, that's really the Bernie Coalition, look at the success of of, um, AOC, but also other Democratic Socialist electeds in Western Queens, what this district is, is not only being inspired by their work, but building on their movement and solidifying the progressive, the progressive leaning and the progressive left in Western Queens and showing that we've started this movement where there's still so much work to do after years of being a pandemic, we're not backing down, we're back out here, we're gonna win, we're here to win this seat. And um, there's a lot of excitement and I think, you know, urgency because of that. Right, uh, when you mentioned what's been accomplished in Queens, not only uh, AOC's election, uh, Tiffany Caban and mm-hmm. uh, Zoran Mamdani as well, um, and, but, um, in, in a moment here, we're going to play a, a, a clip from Knock Down the House, the documentary <laughs> film that chronicled uh, AOC's 2018 campaign for Congress that culminated in a shocking upset of a 10-term uh, congressional incumbent. And then I want to get your reaction to this clip. This is one of my favorite clips from that film. I can do this. I know you can. I am experienced enough to do this. I am knowledgeable enough to do this. I am prepared enough to do this. I am mature enough to do this. I am brave enough to do this. And this whole thing, this whole time, he's gonna tell me I can't do this. He's gonna tell me I'm small, that I'm little, that I'm young, that I'm inexperienced. So, so that was uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, speaking with her uh, uh, partner, Riley Roberts, uh, the night before her debate with uh, then-Congressman Joe Crowley. Uh, anyway, your reaction as um, someone who's uh, 26 and running for uh, state Senate, running for public office for the first time, and how do you respond to people who would question whether you have the experience to take on the responsibility of being a state senator 
and might ask, well, why don't you uh, wait your turn? I, uh, I had a feeling it was going to be that clip. And I, I have to say, when I saw this the first time, that really resonated with me because even though when you know this came out, I wasn't running for office and also running for state senate wasn't part of my plan either, right? Um, I had heard the same things my whole life in all of you know my political spaces and organizing spaces. Uh, so it really did, it, it hit close to home. And even now in running for office, I hear it honestly, you know, we're out in the mornings canvassing train stops and, and doing street canvases or out in the evenings knocking doors and a, and a lot of times I get people turning to me and they'll be like how old are you or can you even vote or run for office um so I think one I I think that's a big assumption based on age because really I'm sitting on personally a decade's worth of political experience, right? I started young in high school. I've worked in city council as part of the Young Women's Initiative. I worked in the Obama White House. I worked in Mary Schumer's office. But even outside of that, right? Even just as a young person, our young people are at the forefront of every critical movement. We are the ones who have been doing the work. So it is an age. It is us being an expert on our experiences, especially fighting for our future. The things that are going, like the fights that are going to define our, our generation will include things like climate, which is why climate, in addition to housing, is another focal point of the campaign. So I think it's, you know, being, for me, being younger, right, is really an asset because we have the passion. I do have that experience, but we all, I'm also so excited to organize with all of the other young people who are already already out there doing the work right on and i would just say if uh if the older generation had uh, done their job with uh, climate change maybe there wouldn't be the same urgency to uh, yeah. elect uh, a, a new slate of uh, folks well we'll have to leave it there for now uh, uh, Kristen uh, gonzalez candidate for state senate in the newly formed district uh, 17 in queens thank you so much for joining us on wbai and i have a feeling we'll be hearing uh, more from you in the months and years ahead it's been so good to be here. Thank you all. And yes, always happy to come back, continue the conversation and keep you updated. But please, you know, I, this is a call for everyone listening right now. The fight's not over. We're still doing it in Queens. So please join our campaign, volunteer, donate if you can. And yeah, I hope to meet, hope to meet some of you on the field. <laughs> right on. Right. Thank you so Have much, Kristen. Have a good night. Bye, everyone. Okay. Bye-bye. All righty. We'll be back after this short break and, uh, we're going to uh, uh, delve into uh, history and, and uh, International Women's Day. We have some exciting material to share with you. Dog. 
That was MC Sean with The Bridge, a.k.a. Queensbridge. That's a Queens beat from 1986. And MC Sean lived in Queensbridge Houses, which is still a public housing development in Long Long Island City, Queens. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM and online at WBAI.org. I'm Amba Gargarian here with my co-host, John Tarleton. Yeah, it's great to be here again with you, uh, Amba. And uh, uh, we we are so excited um, du- uh, during uh, uh, Women's History Month and International uh, International Women's Day today uh, to be able to uh, share with you uh, some of uh, the Pacifica Archives' uh, amazing material of uh, voices of different uh, women trailblazers uh, over the decades, uh, activists, organizers, uh, visionary thinkers. Uh, you know, Pacifica uh, has been broadcasting for over 70 years, over 60 years here in New York City. And, you know, th- this network has talked to so many amazing figures. I mean, you've heard uh, some amazing organizers today. And our, our, a little later in the show, we're going to hear from another really uh, remarkable figure, uh, Francesca Fiorentini. Uh, but for for now, we're going to uh, uh, listen to a little bit of the Pacifica archives and in, uh, for today, we, uh, for starters, we have uh, Grace uh, Paley, the legendary writer and peace activist uh, from the Vietnam era and, and beyond. As the drums uh, beat for war uh, at this time, uh, we need to also be hearing from our peacemakers, including uh, people who came uh, before us. And uh, I think we're going to go to that segment now. women who who've uh, spoken out over the years it's um uh and we we're making that available uh, for um a $15 a month WBAI buddy pledge and uh um also get an indie tote bag we want to get this uh, Grace Paley clip up in a minute so you can get a a sense of what uh, it can do, uh, what you'll be listening to and um um, and yes, uh, um, uh, Reggie, if you're able to uh, uh, upload that and uh, and get it up, that would be great. Um, Amba, you've also been looking at some uh, at some of the other uh, historic figures uh, that are in this uh, Pacifica Archive compilation. Uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we're going to be. I mean, there's I think seventy plus different files within this drive that you would get um, on on this USB drive, um, hours and hours upon hours of footage. Uh, you'd hear from Audre Lorde in 1980. Uh, poet and novelist Audre Lorde will read from her book on the cancer journals and recite her poetry interspersed with musings on racism, sexism, and the condition of humanity. You will get eight hours of interviews Uh, conducted by the former Black Panther and abolitionist Angela Davis. You will hear from Jane Fonda in 1975 when she speaks at the 1975 San Francisco Film Fest on being part of the film industry as it transitioned out of the old studio system. We hear from women speaking out against fascism in 1969. It'll be the Black 
Panther parties inviting a coalition of groups to participate in a three-day conference against fascism. We'll get to hear from Democracy Now's Amy Goodman in 2007. We know Amy Goodman is at the root of Pacifica's flagship news magazine, Democracy Now. Um, we'll hear from Rachel Carson, famous environmental activist, one of the first really famous environmental ac activists. Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring in 1964, inspired a massive environmental movement that resonates through archival audio of Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta, Huerta sorry, Uptown Sinclair, famous labor novelist, Eugene Cohn, etc. We'll also get to hear from Emma Goldman, a biographical documentary of America's best-known anarchist, Emma Goldman, and Sister Helen Prejean and Death Row, 2000. Sister Helen Prejean, a Catholic nun, became known around the world for her book, Dead Man Walking, and she'll deliver a speech after an introduction by the director of Dismas House in New Mexico. So it really is enough content to keep you going on your walks or whatever you like to do while listening to something for for quite a while cooking sewing biking whatever you do be careful if you're biking while listening to something um but yeah so if you can call into wbai at 212-209-2950 you can sign up for 15 dollars a month to become a buddy a wbai buddy which you'll get an indie tote bag and this huge amount of footage on a flash drive sent to you. You can also go online to women.wbai.org in order to find the deal there. So you can call 212-209-2950 or go online to women.wbai.org. And John, I've actually uh, been doing a little bit of research about the origins of women, women history celebrations. Tell me more. Right. So it all kind of ties back into International Women's so Women's History Month, which is the month we're in, ties back into International Women's Day, which is the day that we're celebrating. And the earliest version of uh, Women's Day was actually celebrated was actually celebrated in New York City with the Socialist Party of America on February 28th in 1909. That inspired German delegates at a 1910 Socialist International Women's Socialist Conference to have a special Women's Day. And that International Women's Day came out of that being made on March 8th. Um, and for a while, it was basically celebrated by some suffragists, uh, first wave feminists, but mostly socialists and communists in the far left. Um, it was not until... 19 the late 1960s and the second wave feminine movement that there started to be sort of like a more mainstream um imagination around what international women's day could be and it became a mainstream global holiday um following its adoption by the un in 1977 and then after that it just became celebrating women's history became more mainstream and in 1978 different uh sort of leftist or progressive groups around the U.S. started having women's weeks, whether it was a school or an organization. And by 1980, President Jimmy Carter announced that week, the week of March 8th, which is still that, you know, radical sort of socialist day um, as National Women's Week. And then I think it was right in 1988, we started doing National Women's History Month. So as most sort of liberal or progressive things, it has a radical root. 
um, in socialism. And, and, you know, that's just another reason to support BAI because we are a radical voice, an independent voice, um, as, as proven by, you know, this sort of like huge, huge amount of, of Pacifica archives that we're going to share with anybody who can become a BAI buddy for $15 a month by calling 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. Or you can go online directly to women.wbai.org. Again, women.wbai.org. Right. And uh, I think we're close to having the the Grace uh, uh, Paley uh, a tape ready to go. But yeah, again, uh, 212-209-2950 or women.wbai.org. And I think that original Women's Day back in 1909 may have been tied into a, a, a lady garment worker strike of, I think, about about 20,000 women in the garment district down in the Lower East Side, a heavily socialist area at the time, went on strike that winter. It was a very fierce strike. I, th- I think there may be some tie into that as, as well. Um, and and uh, um, uh, so, um, yes, so uh, quite a history there. And uh, when we think of all the contributions that women uh, make to making this society uh, a better, fairer, more humane society, um, uh, at some point we might have to move on to just uh, declare every year Women's History Year and not just uh, stop at one month. Um, and uh, um, so I, I think that we're ready to go with the Grace uh, Paley to listener sponsor WBAI New York with a moment in women's history. Grace Paley is familiar to longtime WBAI listeners. I think someone had said something about how the old anti-war movement thought if we were all nice, everything would change. But the truth is, many people spent many years in jail. Tens of thousands of people lived in exile for many years. There are probably hundreds underground to this day. Paley helped found the Vietnam Peace Center in 1961. She visited Hanoi as a member of a peace delegation. Groups of people from the, from the um, anti-war peace movement went to Vietnam during the war with an arrangement uh, with the Vietnamese government to bring back American prisoners of war. This was uh, the idea of the, of the uh, Vietnamese to really show that they would like to end the war and they were sending these guys back three, four at a time. And they were all pilots, they were all officers. It was an officer class. And they asked only one thing and that was that these pilots uh, not be used again during the war and that they not have any association with the Air Force. Uh, within six months of their return, the United States government had them teaching other pilots and uh, con- continuing their old work. It was clear from that that the United States had no intentions of ending that war. The reason I'm telling you this is because I think the whole Iranian business is exactly the same thing. 
The celebrated writer and peace activist was forever making connections between the past and the present. Grace Paley once said, there's no point in getting older if you can't say something about what happened earlier. We're living right now at a time where the United States government could have gotten out of the whole thing very easily. In the 70s, Paley turned her attention to the anti-nuclear movement. She once said for a writer not to be political is peculiar. She was interested in a history of everyday life. She was one of the earliest writers to explore the lives of women, mostly Jewish, mostly New Yorkers, with a focus on single mothers. You can receive our Women's History audio collection with Grace Paley and other trailblazers by becoming a WBAI buddy, a sustaining member for $15 a month. You'll also receive our fabulous tote bag for all your belongings when you're out and about. Please go to women.wbai.org, women wbai.org to become a WBAI buddy in the name of your favorite program or in the name of all WBAI programs or in the name of WBAI's long history of activism and programming you enjoy. Please call 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950 and say, yes, I want to become a WBAI buddy this Women's History Month. All righty, that was uh, WBI's uh, Linda Perry uh, introducing the the Grace Paley uh, uh, clip there. And uh, there's so much more of Grace Paley and more than 70 other women trailblazers in this uh, archival uh, 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 footage that's all compiled in an 8-gigabyte flash drive that will uh, give you plenty to listen to uh, all the way till uh, next year's uh, International Women's Day. Um, but... Uh, one more time, you can call 212-209-2950 or women.wba.org. But uh, we're now going to uh, pivot and, and talk, uh, bring, bring on board our next guest, uh, Francesca Fiorentini. Uh, she was an a anti-war activist here in New York City in the, in the mid-2000s and then uh, made a transition in her career to political comedy and has really become a, 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 a really incisive uh, voice for – uh, bringing leftist ideas to all kinds of people who, um, you know, might not be in the uh, immediate activist scene, but are open to uh, the kind of ideas she's uh, been putting forward. Uh, Francesca, welcome to WBAI Radio. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me, John. Good to be here. Thanks, Amba. Uh, back in the old stomping grounds, back in Brooklyn, where it all started. I mean, not really, but kind of. Yeah. So. Uh, for for starters, can you just talk a little bit about uh, your time here in New York in the in the, in the two thousands when you're anti war activist, and then uh, kind of the uh, hunger you felt to kind of strike out in a new direction that led you uh, to a career in uh, leftist political comedy. <laughs> that well, that is not an oxymoron. Out. It is possible, and you've proven it over the last decade. Oh, thanks so much. I try. Yeah, that's that's just called burnout, John. You know what happens when you do movement work for too long. It's great. And uh, bless everyone who can make it multi-decade uh, or longer. Um, but, you know, it's hard. And I think sometimes the left needs to laugh at ourselves. Uh, we're silly. We're ridiculous. We've all been in those seven-hour meetings. And you're like, really? Is this happening? There are no snacks. So uh, for me, I was a very active anti-war student at NYU. NYU had, uh, like many campuses across the country, one of the most active 
uh, and a very active anti-war presence because it was uh, 2000. So we had the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, uh, and we had a lot of wars to stop. Um, and it sort of feels like maybe we've kind of learned our lesson, at least in the meantime, as we are in a uh, holding pattern here in Ukraine and um, exercising a, a bit of restraint, which is sort of uh, new for uh, the United States to exercise some restraint in times of war. But yeah, you know, it's it's funny because it was um, it was a good place and a really important moment to become politicized. You know, the Bush years were some dark years for those of you who remember them. Obviously, uh, unfortunately, listeners- I do. <laughs> Sadly, we all do, right? WBII listeners are not the people who are saying, I miss Bush. No, in no way do we miss Bush. Not even Trump could make us miss Bush. Um, but yeah, they were super formative years. And so I think it's really important sometimes on the left. We, we often like suppress the kind of creative side. Yes, there are the people who are really good at puppets, right? Yeah, you got the puppeteers and you got some people who are great at making signs, but you know, Right. I think that it's it's seen as a very selfish career to kind of like be a comedian or only be an artist. Um, And I do think there is a way to do both. And so it was fun for me to stake out and do some comedy. But it was also fun to mix that with news and basically bringing a leftist message into a more mainstream um, media. And I think versus 20 years ago. There's way because of the Internet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we used to have zines. We still have zines, but like there are zines online every single day. Right. So there's so much more media out there. And so I think it is really wonderful and important for folks who are grassroots organizers to be savvy about how to get their message out and also do it in a fun way, in a way that can be entertaining, maybe a few jokes. So that's kind of what I think of myself as doing. Right. right. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I also uh, meant to mention that you, you're you now hosting a, a podcast, The Bituation Room, uh, on Sunday evenings uh, yeah. with comics and activists and organizers. Uh, you, you also appear on The Damage Report on Young Turks and um, and also have done some really outstanding uh, uh, humorous videos with uh, with uh, Newsbroke. And uh, Amba, I, I know you – uh, we're digging around a little bit, and you, you found a, one of the more uh, uh, memorable uh, uh, episodes uh, from uh, Francesca uh, in 2016 about white fragility. Right. In 2016, you produced and started a newsbook video that uses the motif of a human resources department training film to satirize white fragility in the professional managerial class. It begins with a scene in which Becky, a white woman, admires her black co-worker, Jen's kinky black hair, so much she can't resist wanting to play with it. Let's listen in. We'll go to that clip now. Hey, Jen, I really like your hair. Thanks, Becky. I think the curls are awesome. Black hair's the best. Ah, Can you not do that? It's kind of inappropriate. What? Why? Well, it's kind of racist you're probably wondering what went wrong in this workplace interaction between becky and jen unless you have a keen understanding of racial discrimination in today's workforce you probably didn't notice that something very offensive has taken place jen called becky the r-word causing becky to feel shame and sadness 
How can we avoid situations like this? All right, that's the the opening to the satire of uh, white people's sensitivity to other people's racial sensitivities. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the uh, most popular videos uh, you've ever produced for AJ Plus's uh, Newsbroke. Uh, What was the inspiration for that? And can you talk about how six years later, uh, reality uh, in many ways has outpaced the ludicrous scenes that you depict in that video? Oh, absolutely. That's why it's unfair. Like the modern day GOP makes a political comedian's job completely moot. Impossible. In fact, um, it is a work speed up. It is <laughs> it, it, it's just ridiculous. Right. You know, you you could say I mean, you could be like, oh, yeah, what's Trump going to do? Like say that uh, we should put Chinese flags on our aircraft and then bomb Russia and blame China. No, no. He just said that he literally just said that. So. Sadly, and that video was very popular and it was very fun and funny, but it just became too real. Now there are literally white sensitivity, i.e. like we're banning critical race theory bills in states across the country and in schools across the country. They're banning books. So there's been a lot of those like we could laugh then and now it's just it's like you you really i mean my motto is you got to laugh not to cry because ultimately um this is far too real but you know one other we've we've done other things about news broke was a was a show i did on aj plus and you know we talked about the alt-right and how the alt-right is so ridiculous and it's if what if they came out with their own music album it's like the alt-right alt-rock you know and I had no idea what the alt-right was in 2016. No idea. And I was working with my coworker. He was like, no, 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 trust me. This is a funny, it's a funny bit. It, it exists. And I was like, I haven't, okay. Months later, right? Six months later, you're like, oh, there are alt-right meme lords in the presidential cabinet right now. So, <laughs> like, I know, we all know who the alt-right is. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of the the, the brilliance of... Uh, you know, the pain that we all have to nurse through comedy, which I'm very big on. Right. And uh, uh, you're going to be taping uh, or hosting a a live uh, edition of uh, uh, the Bituation Room uh, on Thursday evening at the Bell House in uh, Gowanus, uh, Brooklyn. Uh, Yes. uh, Can you uh, tell us about who your special guest will be? And then uh, we're going to offer our listeners a a special, uh, special something as well. Yeah, no, it's going to be super fun. It's going to be live at the Bell House, yes. And my guests are Council Member Tiffany Caban, um, Queens Council Member, and she is. I'm really excited to dig into New York politics with her. We'll see how much um, she will tell us about her thoughts on the new mayor and his um, policies, especially around policing. You know that she used to be a public defender herself. So I know she'll have a lot of thoughts on that. And, you know, as there is a discussion in New York City um, about crime being on the rise, um, whether real or imagined, you know, how can politicians like Caban really lead the way um, and impact city council, um, you know, and I think that we're all eager to see as someone who used to call New York home. I'm, I'm you know, I've always felt like it, it's a very hyper militarized um city and it's only gotten more so so tiffany's gonna break that down we've got sam cedar of the majority report again uh 
a very, very popular podcaster, radio host. He's going to be in the, in the house. Uh, also comedian Matt Lieb, uh, who is just so funny. So we're going to, you know, look, we'd like to take a piss out of a reflection analysis and all that good stuff. And then we'll play some games, have some drinks. Um, it'll be a good night. And, um, look, I, I, I'm just glad that uh, the surge of Omicron is coming down so we can all kind of enjoy each other's company with, in a more relaxed way. Yeah, we're looking forward to being there as well. We'll be handing out the latest uh, edition of The Independent. Um, and, uh, um, but for our WBI listeners, uh, you know, a, a few minutes ago we were offering uh, that amazing uh, flash drive with the uh, voices of more than 70 women trailblazers plus the, the beautiful WBAI tote bag. Well, if you call in... Right now, 212-209-2950 will not only uh, give you that, but uh, the first five people who call in and take advantage of this, uh, we will add uh, a ticket to Thursday night's performance to that bundle. For for $15 a month as a WBAI buddy, get the flash drive, the tote bag, and a ticket to uh, Thursday night's habituation uh, room uh, uh, podcast live at mm-hmm. the uh, beautiful Bell House space in Gowanus, Brooklyn. Um, and for folks seven who want to hear a little bit more. Doors more, at seven. Uh, Sorry, doors yes. open at seven. So <laughs> 212-209-2950. And uh, Abba, I, I know you've been uh, digging into uh, some of Francesca's stuff. I think you have a, 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 another highlight you want to share with us. Right. So, I mean, as probably all of our listeners know, Russian invasion of Ukraine seems to be setting off a Cold War 2.0 with the Biden administration rallying other Western nations to come to Ukraine's aid. Setting aside judgments about the wisdoms of U.S. policy in Ukraine, one thing we can be certain of is that this will postpone any reckoning with our national mythology of America always being number one. You previously tried to make light of this folly, Francesca, in a video titled, Can America Let Go of Being Number One? Now, let's go to that clip now. Can America let go of being number number one? And no, not just in mass shootings and military spending, also weapons dealing. We know from fact-based, stat-heavy, well-researched, peer-reviewed studies, America isn't actually number one in the world, or the best. Unless best here is in reference to Melania's anti-bullying slogan, be best, in which case, it kind of works. And yet, we cling to the idea that we're the best, that everything we do in the world is for the good of it, and that we're the world's role model. It's often referred to as American exceptionalism. I'm Francesca Fiorentini, and today we're looking at this national myth of being the best, whether it's time to let go of it, and what it would mean if we ever did. Your thoughts about that, and also how this uh, mythology inhibits us from uh, embracing things like uh, socialism that might actually make our lives better. Yeah, I mean, just look at history, right? Every time usually Democrats introduce any kind of social programs, the right is just at the ready saying it's socialism. And then when it finally incorporates things like Social Security or Medicare, um, years later, no serious Republican would ever openly talk about rolling those things back because they're insanely popular. Right. So, you know, it just like tale as old as time here. What's interesting about what, the moment we're in now 
is that no matter who is in power when there is a war that pops off in the world, the per, you know, the opposition party, in this case, the GOP, always calls the per party in power weak, right? Oh, they're weak. They need to do more. Oh, this is all about Biden's weakness, right? And vice versa. You know, there's, you know, Democrats r ratchet up the call to war just as much in different ways than Republicans. But it's like, if we could all accept that we're part of the world and not the world's police, maybe we could spend some of that $700 billion that we spend on defense, you know, for actual true security here at home, you know? Like, yep. so... Once again, it's uh, it's it's tough. It's like we need a new toy. You know what I mean? Like we got it. If we're going to take away the toy of American exceptionalism, we just need like something else. And hopefully that something else is like not war with China. Right. Like, oh, maybe it could be a Green New Deal or Medicare for all. But we'll have to something fun it, to play with. Leave it there for now. But uh, again, I encourage everybody to join us out at the Bell House. Uh, on Thursday, doors open at 7. show begins at 8 with Francesca Fiorentini and friends. And if you want to get a, a ticket, along with all the other good stuff we were offering on the show today, 212-209-2950. Become a WBAI buddy, $15 a month. You get all that wonderful stuff. Uh, we uh, uh, thank everybody for listening tonight. And uh, Amba, do we have a, a, a going away song? Yes, and we'd like to thank all our guests and our sound engineer, Reggie Johnson. We're going to leave you with El Derecho de Vivir en Paz, or The Right to Live in Peace by Victor Jara. Jara, a socialist, was tortured and killed under Pinochet's dictatorship, dictatorship in Chile. He played a pivotal role in establishing the Nueva Canción Chilena, the folk movement of the 1960s. So we'll listen here to El Derecho de Vivir en Paz. Ah.